Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. This is most certainly true. Jesus is alive and death is dead. His tomb is empty and our hearts are full. His promises are fulfilled. The victory has been won. Easter brings fullness and life and joy and meaning and hope into our lives and brings them in fullest measure. Our songs of Alleluia will never end. Join us to worship our risen Lord with this Easter sermon recently delivered at Grace. Second reading from Peter's first letter, chapter 3. Christ Jesus has secured our place with God forever. That's a truth worth celebrating. That's a truth worth sharing. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. The word of the Lord. It must have been desperate there on Bithynia Boulevard, looking out over the shores of the Black Sea to the north. It must have been lonely on Cappadocia Court, tucked into the mountains and rugged terrain of that region. It must have been hopeless in the province of Asia. Even as commerce went past them every day, ships coming into the port seas on the Aegean Sea and and making their way inland. Those people, they were separated geographically, but they were connected together by a detail, by a reality that they never asked for. They were connected by common persecution that they experienced as a result of their faith in Christ. Emotional trauma, verbal abuse, fear around every corner. These were everyday realities for these people. They had to ask themselves, is today the day that someone's coming at me? Is today the day that I lose my property, my livelihood, my family? 
For some, the pain was even caused by members of their own family. Siblings that refused to believe or even have those conversations. Children who left behind the ways in which they were raised to follow after the ways of the world. Loved ones whose words were sharp and piercing. For a lot of them, it was the cuts from family that hit the deepest. He must have been lonely living in that way, separated from family, from loved ones, from those in their lives. Is it worth it? It's probably a question that they asked all the time. Is it worth it? To be so near to people, yet to feel so alone? Is it worth it to endure suffering just for the sake of an ideology, just for a religious belief? Is it worth it to be so different in a world that celebrates sameness as much as it does? Peter wrote his first letter and thus wrote our second reading for today to Jewish people who had been persecuted because of their belief that Jesus was the Messiah, their Savior from sin. That persecution chased them from their hometowns and forced them to settle in a different region, and now the persecution has caught up with them again. Peter wrote these words to Gentile believers who had a common faith in that same Christ. And now it made their lives feel like as if they were strangers or foreigners, even though they were living in their hometowns. Peter knew how lonely it must have felt. That's why he wrote his first letter. He wanted to warn those people to stay true to the faith. He wanted to remind them that there is hope even in the face of suffering. And he wanted them to cling to the promises of Jesus. He wrote to them hoping that they would remember and that they would never forget that in Jesus we are never alone. Sometimes it's difficult to connect with the people that we meet on the pages of Scripture. Generations have passed technology has advanced. Things have changed. But it's kind of like they say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Do you feel like a stranger or a foreigner? In a world where common sense seems to be thrown out the window, where things that once were lauded as noble are now condemned as bigotry, do you feel like you're all alone? Scared that if someone finds out who you believe in, in and worship, that there might be negative consequences for you? Do you feel like you're on an island? An ever-shrinking island? Like there are fewer and fewer people who are like you, who think like you, who worship like you? If you do, you're not alone. It's to those very people, people like you, that Peter writes his first letter. No matter how much you might feel that way, you are never alone. And in fact, Peter writes this letter to tell us something even better. An even more encouraging truth 
then there are other people in the same boat as you. There are other people who are struggling and suffering and feeling the way you do. Peter writes this letter to remind us that in Jesus we are never alone. Does it cost you anything to have a relationship with someone in your life? I suppose the answer is it, it depends. I hope that none of you have friends that give you an invoice at the end of the month itemized here are all the things that I did for you and here is the price that you have incurred for being a friend of mine. If you have friends like that, you need to get better friends. I don't know of any parents who charge their young children for the necessities of life that they provide. Once you grow older, once you're old enough that you could be living on your own, once you get your own job, maybe that's a different story. But I don't know any parents that charge their little children in elementary school for cereal in the morning or their portion of the utility bills. Those are a couple of examples from earthly relationships. What about your heavenly relationship with God. Does it cost anything to have a relationship with God? It most certainly does. God tells us what it costs to have a relationship with Him. He tells us that it costs perfection, that it costs holiness, that it costs purity, and if you can't pay up, then you deserve to be deprived of that relationship, both here and forever. If you can't pay up, then you deserve to be alone, forever alone, cast out of God's presence and, and into the depths of hell. That is the biggest problem that a person would ever, could ever face. How do I gain a connection with God. That means the most important question for us to consider is, is there anything that I can do? And the answer to that is no. There is nothing that I can do. No payment that I can make would ever be enough. No life that I could live, no matter how hard I try, could ever be a life worthy of earning God's favor. There's nothing that I can do to undo sin's curse. There's nothing that I could do to have a relationship with God. Peter knew that. He knew that from first-hand experience. He knew a thing or two about failing his God. He knew about the enormity of his sins. He knew about the immensity of the debt that sin had incurred. He knew from firsthand experience how powerless he was to do anything about it, to fix the mess that he had made of his life. And he knew that others were in the same boat. But Peter knew something else firsthand. He knew God's answer to that problem, how do I gain a relationship with God? He knew God's answer firsthand because he followed him around 
country for three years. He knew God's answer because he sat at his feet. He knew God's answer because he saw him risen from the dead. Peter knew that Jesus is the answer. That's why he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Peter knew that the people to whom he wrote were struggling, were suffering, were losing hope. And he uses that suffering to connect them to Jesus. I know that you are suffering, but you are not alone. He says, for Christ also suffered. But Jesus' suffering was for a far greater goal. And Jesus' suffering had a far greater impact on the world than our suffering does. For Christ also suffered once for sin. He made a one-time payment for your sins and for mine and for the sins of the world. What does it cost to have a relationship with God? Perfection, holiness, purity. It costs a life. And that is what Jesus was willing to give. He laid his perfect life down as a payment for your sins and mine. The righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus earned life through his obedience, yet he made that life the payment price that we never could pay, and he did it far beyond our deserving. He made a payment price for sinners like us who were hostile to him who are enemies. Have you ever been inside of a prison? I won't ask for a show of hands. But I'm guessing that the results of such a survey would show that most of us would say no. Staying out of prison is a goal that many of us have as inmates, but also even as visitors. It can be an intimidating thing. It can be a little scary. Now imagine going into a prison to trade places with an inmate. Go into that prison and find the vilest criminal and then convince the warden that you should serve the rest of their sentence and they should go free, fully free today. Or maybe more poignantly, find someone in that jail who has caused you harm. And then lay your life down instead of theirs. That's unthinkable. We wouldn't, in our wildest dreams, dream of doing something like that, but that's precisely what Jesus has done. He came to be our substitute, to take our place, even when we didn't deserve it, even when we were hostile enemies of God, Jesus, the righteous for the unrighteous. And Peter tells us why. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Without Jesus, we'd be alone forever, but with him, we are never alone. Jesus gives us something that we could never produce on our own. He makes a payment that we could never render. He does the impossible. He washes sinners like you and like me clean and makes us to be members of God's family. Where were you on July 20th, 
2021. Pastor, I don't know where I was yesterday. How in the world would I know where I was on a random date two years ago? But I think you might know. Maybe you haven't connected that date to, to this event, but I bet it's something that you know where you were. Because it was a pretty important date to a lot of you here. July 20th, 2021, that was the date that the Milwaukee Bucks won the world championship. Their first one in 50 years. If you were a fan of the team, you know exactly where you were on that day. And even if you weren't, you appreciate the importance of such an event for a city that you love. Where were you two days later? You and were maybe with thousands and thousands of Milwaukeeans that lined the streets of downtown Milwaukee for the championship parade. They got in their custom buses and their, their special cars and they made their way through the city right down Water Street, one block away from Grace, on the way to the Deer District to have their celebration party. That's one of the best parts about winning a championship is a chance to show off the trophy to adoring fans, a chance to share in that victory with the city that supports them. Did you know that Jesus had a victory parade? Fresh off of his championship over death, Jesus descended into hell to make proclamation to those spirits, to announce to the devil that he had won. Peter tells us, after being made alive, Jesus went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago. When there's a victory, there should be a celebration. And if we're going to celebrate a sports team victory, how much more should we celebrate an eternal victory that has been given to us? Are you a person who uses the pronouns we and us to refer to your favorite sports team? As if you have any control over anything that happens, as if you have any bearing on whether they win or lose? I am too. I with joy announced that we won the championship, as silly as it might be. Jesus wants you to say we and us in the victory that he has won. We had nothing to do with it. It was totally out of our control. It was 100% earned and given by him, but Jesus wants it to be your victory, to be our victory. That's why he came. That's why he fought. That's why he won. The burden of sin's debt has been lifted. The curse of sin undone. Jesus paraded through the streets of hell to announce to the devil that he is finished and that he is taking us to be with him forever. Now we can celebrate because with Jesus we are never alone. Suppose a loved one wants to do something nice for you. They give you a card and in the card is a note, I have opened a bank account for you and there's $10,000 in it. Pretty nice gift. A pretty nice gift, assuming that it also comes with a password or an account number or some way for you to gain access to the funds. A pile of money that is just sitting there that you don't have access to, that's 
pretty worthless. But when you are given access to the funds, when you can withdraw money and use it without hindrance, that's when that gift becomes lavish. God's gift of forgiveness and everlasting life take on their real value when they are given to us. Jesus doesn't stop at just making a payment, then quietly rising from the dead and sneaking his way back up to heaven. No, he makes that payment and he puts it on your account and he puts it on mine. He gives us access to his love through faith. Jesus plants that faith in our hearts or strengthens faith if it's already there through the waters of holy baptism. That's how the blessings of the cross and the empty tomb are given to you. That's how the payment that Jesus made and the celebration that he has begun becomes ours. Peter says, Baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Our sins have been washed away in the cleansing waters of holy baptism. The promise of forgiveness and everlasting life have been given to us. Our baptism means that we are never alone. We are connected to Jesus through his resurrection from the dead. His victory is our victory. Because he lives, we also will live. We have the assurance that he will never leave us. We have the unshakable confidence that we are heirs of everlasting life and members of his family forever. Sit with Peter and the other disciples in the upper room. That's where today's gospel takes place. Don't be shy. Don't feel out of place. You belong. Jesus has reserved a chair for you there. Pull that chair up and tune your ears to the words of comfort that Jesus offers. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Life in this sinful world will have sufferings. Jesus promises us as much. But Jesus also promises us that there is hope, even in the midst of suffering. The payment has been made and accepted, and the celebration has already begun. Jesus has bought us and brought us into his family forever. And that means that we are never alone. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today. And we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.